Welcome to Empowered Conversations. I'm your host, Susie Petrozzi. This podcast will take you on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery through conversations with special guests that will inspire you to live the life of your dreams. Get ready now for an Empowered Conversation. My next guest is Chris Paulin, who's a consultant psychologist in private practice here in Sydney. He is a co-director of the Resource Therapy Institute Australia and also principal of Marriage Works, which is a practice specialising in relationship therapy and counselling here in Sydney. Chris specialises in imago couple therapy, trauma treatment, systemic family therapies and practices and teaches resource therapy. He's had extensive experience in working both in hospital and community-based, child, youth and family mental health services in the New South Wales Department of Health. I know Chris back from my days or his days in mental health, within the mental health, and I can honestly say that he's been an incredible mentor, not just to me, but to many people, many clinicians and certainly many clients. The way I can describe Chris is someone who's always really open-minded to what's coming, to open-minded to learning all of his life, open-minded to doing things differently, to bettering himself, to bettering his body, mind, body, spirit, all of those things. And part of the reason why I wanted to speak to him is, well, one, for that, to learn more from Chris, because when you're with Chris, he always immerses you in knowledge. And I really wanted to, I wanted to get to the essence of his journey. And on that note, Chris, welcome to Empowered Conversations. Ah, hi, Susie. Thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So, Chris, I wanted the first question that comes to me is um, what drives you? Because actually, one of the things that I didn't mention, and we were talking about this, so hold on, hold off on answering that question, because you are also a martial artist and you have been practicing for how many years? Um, over 30 years. You also teach martial arts. So I, I don't know what level you've achieved or, you know, because you, you've been immersed in quite a few different practices from what you've shared with me. Um, mm-hmm. But you've also um, had time to um, immerse yourself in dance. So you've been practicing or you've been dancing tango, Latin American ballroom, um, anything else that the listeners need to know or that I need to know? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, that's, that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, they're, they're all my interests um, and they sort of keep me out of trouble and off the street. Uh, oh, well, at least when COVID's not around anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Now, um, uh, I want to go back to the question of what drives you? Yeah, um, uh, I think you put it pretty well in your introduction, um, I've really got a very curious nature. I've always very curious. I always want to know things. I'm very interested in new things. Um, I want to broaden my scope and my knowledge. And um, yeah, that's led me to many different things. You know, the martial arts, it's led me to the dancing. Um, I've been led to uh, new areas of uh, interest in terms of uh, psychological therapies, um, yeah, so uh, that's pretty much what drives me, my curiosity and my wanting to know things, I think. Mm-hmm. So continually expanding your own horizons of, uh, you know, your knowledge base and how I suppose things can be done different, how you can improve things. And so on that note, like um, 
When you reflect back on even, I don't know, let's say last 10 years, and I use that as because maybe that's when I had last, um, when we had last had contact because of my own, um, um, of the time when I, when I spent in um, Department of Health, I'm just curious to use that as a marker, not because it's literally, it's kind of arbitrary, but over those last 10 years to where you are now, I'm really keen to know what, how have you continued to improve your own life, your own body, because really um, nourishing, working, looking after your body is high on your value. Yes, yes. So in those last 10 years, there's been some significant changes to that area of my um, life. Um, As I say, I've, I've got into the, the dancing, I'm, uh, you know, I've continued with my martial arts. That started before the last 10 years, but mm. uh, that's continued and um, I've progressed in that. Um, and, and currently what I'm doing, you know, I've made changes in, you know, even in the last year or, or two. Um, so, you know, I follow the ketogenic diet now. I do fasting. Um, I'm a cold shower guy. Um, ah, I've um, heard about those cold showers. Yes, 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 yes. They're very interesting. It was great this morning. Uh, pretty cold. Um, but uh, so I, I'm also willing to experiment um, with my body in a sense. Um, and when I say experiment, I mean there's a lot of information and there's a lot of uh, scientific information around those kind of practices that I've just described. Mm. But uh, I don't know how they're going to affect my body and I want to find out and I'm willing to try them and uh, to see how they go. So there have been differences in those physical practices. Um, I've got to tell you, um, you're going to Mm. maybe be a bit surprised by this. I'm I'm currently (laughs) learning how to do backflips and B-twists and um, uh, kip-ups and all kinds of, uh, you know, semi-parkour kind of thing. I'm not not free running and jumping over fences and uh, on the window fields, but I'm I'm, I'm learning flips and I'm not a young guy age-wise. Anyway, I mean, mentally I feel I am, but (laughs) not age-wise. So I'm always – interested to try to push the barriers physically and just see what happens. One yeah. of my favourite films of all time is um, uh, Enter the, the Dragon, uh, Bruce Lee movie. Came uh-huh, out in, uh-huh. Yeah, Love Bruce 72. Lee movies. Yeah, yeah, in 72. And um, uh, in that movie, the, uh, the, the villain uh, has a whole group of martial artists assembled and he, uh, he gives a toast to them and he says, um, gentlemen, um, I want to toast you. You who have... Um, forge your body in the fire of your will. Uh, and I've always taken it up because I think, you know, like, I don't want to be too grandiose about it, but I'm trying to forge my body in the fire of my will in various ways. Mm. So, okay. And and tell me what kind of principles guide that? Like, is it, I mean, I know that there's, I imagine there would be some kind of principles from martial arts that maybe guide that forging um, or, you know, experimenting, what is it like you might consider one, you know, as you, as, as you have to do some backflips, what is the kind of foundation to then trying that? Um, do you know what I mean? Like, what is it that then, um, physically sets you up to do that? What kind of principles when you're, when you're learning something, let's just speak to the physical level of, um, uh, experimenting with your body. So I don't mean food, but you know, like the backflips, how do you, how do you start? How do you set yourself up? Cause you are just, just so the audience is aware you're, you're very fit. 
So there's already 30 years of martial arts, right? So there's already some funky moves that could happen, you know, whether it be on the dance floor or martial arts floor. Um, But I'm interested to know even, okay, let me just even, let me get even more specific with this question. Here's myself who, okay, I've had some, you know, I would say that my fitness level is moderate, maybe kind of on not just average, but maybe higher average. That's that's from my perspective. Someone else may disagree. But if I wanted to try backflips, Chris, if I wanted to try, um, you know, walking on my hands, like doing handstand walking, what are some kind of things that one should consider, take into account when we're doing that? Um. I, I'm a great believer in, as I said, finding what the limit is for myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I won't look at something. Uh, um, yeah, um, there are obviously some things I won't do. But uh, if I consider that I can do something relatively safely and try it and see if it works for me or if I can do it, I'll do it. Um, so it's really for me about, um, yeah, yeah, it, thinking about what the, the difficulties of doing things are, but I'll, I'll never be put off by the argument that, oh, you know, you're too old to do this or, you you know, you're not fit enough to do that because the, the answer for me is, well, get fit enough to do that, you know, yeah. if you're not fit enough now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it really comes down to interest too uh, and motivation. So like I say, I'm very curious about things. Mm. I'm very curious about knowledge, but I'm also curious about the limitations uh, of my um, – my, my physicality really yeah mm. and and like you said you know what, what I what I'm what you're also saying you, you're going to do it with the kind of start off at least within the scope of safety that it's it's safe enough to do it and then you're adding into that your own fitness level your own kind of curiosity openness and then within that you're going to try that right yeah, yeah, and 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 bit by bit push the envelope um, until I get to a point where I go, well, that's probably the end of it for me. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. So tell me this. Okay, I want to go back to martial arts. How did you get into martial arts? Uh, that's a, well. There's a bit of a story to that. When I was a, a young adolescent, I was about thirteen. Um, I and yeah, before that, I there was a show on TV which some people listening to the podcast might remember, um, called Samurai. Um, and you won't remember that, Susie, you're too young, <laughs> I know. Um, but the Samurai was a, a Japanese series, uh, it was a Japanese language series dubbed in English. It was about ninjas and this samurai, and you know, that kind of like took my fancy when I was a kid and, you know, I used to, um, my mum made me a, a ninja suit and I used to get up on the roof of the house when I got into trouble for and jump <laughs> off and do all kinds of stuff like that. You know, uh, this is before I was 13. Uh-huh. Um, and um, by the time I got to 13, I was thinking, oh, you know, and then I found out about the martial arts because there was some stuff on TV occasionally about, you know, karate and stuff like mm. that. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to try this. this. This is interesting. So it's got the roots back there in the samurai. And, um, so I went to learn judo at the local police boys club. Um, mm. Now, the judo was interesting. Um, however, the, the, the master, uh, who was a Japanese guy, um, didn't turn up very regularly to practice. And the uh, older students who were people who were kind of about, you know, 17, 18 would run the class. And um, I didn't like the way that they kind of used the younger students um, to um, practice their techniques uh, mm. and not teach very much. So I, I didn't last very long at judo, but it was mm. always something I had in the back of my mind. I'd like to do some martial art. 
And um, when I went to university, I was, you know, involved in squash and running and tennis and, you know, other kind of sports like that. And um, in my final years, uh, well, sorry, after I'd left university, I went to work and a friend of mine, I've got to thank him. He was really very, very kind to me in this way. And I, I thank him eternally for this. He wanted to start doing martial arts. So being a, a scientist by training, went around, saw all the classes, took notes, uh, watched the classes, uh, did a table with, uh, you know, all the uh, hours of the classes and uh, how long they went for and what the money value was and all the rest of it. And he said, we're going to go, um, I'm going to go to the Union uh, New South Wales Martial Arts Club and I'm going to train there. Do you want to come? And I go, oh, okay, yeah, I did. And 30 years later, 30 plus 30, 30 years plus later, I'm still going. Wow, okay, okay. Gee, so this friend did the groundwork for you and all the research. And yeah. yeah okay. And Chris, when you when you stepped into that class, you know, the first few weeks, what did that feel like for you? Um, it, it felt very... Uh, you know, I was excited. Um, mm. I was apprehensive. Mm. Um, I was, um, uh, yeah, probably probably that'd be the best way to describe those two those two feelings. Uh, apprehensive about mm. what was going to happen, and you know, mm. was I going to get bounced around the room, and you know, was not good things going to happen to me? But at the same time, very excited um, by being able to kind of get into something I wanted to get into for a very long time mm. and something that uh, what I saw of the people training, I would, it was really exciting to go, well, maybe one day I can do some of that stuff. Yeah. And you've never looked back, like you've continued this, you're still practicing. I mean, you, you're now doing, uh, I mean, you're training, you train yourself if I understood that correctly. Well, I do both. I do both. I, I still regularly uh, go out and train with my master. Well, not in COVID, I haven't, but uh, mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. COVID, I go every week. My mm-hmm. master now only has classes uh, at Bass Hill, which is out beyond Bankstown. So every Saturday morning, I saddle up and off I go to Bankstown for or to Bass Hill for two hours. So mm-hmm. I still train with him. Um, and I do my own stuff as well. And I, I've got a, a couple, a handful, well, less than a handful. I've got two people who I actually train individually who, uh, for various reasons. Mm, you're really a master of many different arts, speaking of master, because you've, you, you've, um, uh, you train people or students. You have students within martial arts. You have, I don't know if you have students with dancing, but I know that you are a continuing student of dancing and yep. you are also a clinical psychologist in, or consultant psychologist in private practice. So you see with clients. Um, yep. and I, I just wonder how, you know, the question that comes for me is, not that I want to keep them two separate, but they're three separate things, right? We all have separate, perhaps whether it be hobbies or something that we really, that we're passionate about, we love doing. How do they shape who you are and what are some of the key lessons that, or, you know, key learnings from those three different areas that have informed you and your own life? Hmm. Okay. Um, well, let me, uh, I'm going to start with dancing because that's the first one that kind of struck me. Mm. Um, dancing for me is uh, an expression kind of thing. So um, when I say expression kind of thing, that's not very clear. Um, it, it's, a, it's a way of expressing myself, you know, and, and I express myself in my martial arts, but it's a different way of expressing myself. It's a more artistic kind of expression to me. Mm. Um, and because you actually uh, do it 
with someone who you're cooperating with to do, whereas in martial arts, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, martial arts was invented to defend oneself. Um, so when you're working with someone in those kind of circumstances, it's not necessarily to cooperate to produce something. It um, mm. can be, uh, you know, obviously conflictual. So dancing for me is an expression, uh, uh, more an artistic expression uh, that I create in combination with my partner. And um, happily, my, my wife's a dancer too, and I actually met her dancing. And, mm. um, and funnily enough, she's a psychologist also. <laughs> you know, funny how uh, kind of like and like meet on the dance floor. Um, and, um, yeah, so that, 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 that's, the, that's the thing from there. It's about uh, in my life, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's really useful to have some joyous expressive, artistic kind of aspect. Um, you know, not everyone has that and not everyone has to have that, but for me that's an important thing. So that's, that's the dancing. Mm. Uh, the martial arts has got a lot of things mixed into it for me. So there's the very basic thing that I just, uh, you know, pointed to in my earlier comments. It's about being able to, if necessary, defend myself. Um, that's not the main thing about it, though, or necessarily the only thing. Uh, it might be the main, but it's not the only. Um, there's discipline in the martial arts. You have to be disciplined. And same with dancing. I mean, um, there's discipline in dancing, but martial arts discipline is different. Um, there's a lot of discipline. There's a spiritual aspect to the martial arts. Um, there's an aspect to it about um being able to uh, not only function in a physical sense but also in an emotional sense. Um, one of the things when you're working with uh, someone sparring or you you know if, even if you're actually having to defend yourself, uh, your spirit and the other person's spirit kind of uh, connect in a way. Yeah? Mm. And um, you have to and, and so an aspect of it is is how to make that connection, how to um, make uh, you know your um, presence, your self, um, work together uh, either harmoniously in the in the dance kind of context, or you know not necessarily harmoniously in the other one, but in in a way that you've got to you've you've got to be able to have that spiritual essence there. Um, so it's got spirituality, it's got uh, physicality. You know, martial arts obviously got physicality to it. Um, it's got discipline. Um, and again, you know, and maybe this is why I'm just as I'm talking, I'm thinking about it. Maybe this is why dancing kind of appeals to me also, because there's also a, an expression of oneself in that um, that one kind of has to be able to express oneself. And you know, going around the um, circle uh, to being a psychologist, um, when I work with people in therapy. Um, yeah, I'm again. Uh, I'm uh, having to work together with them uh, because if I'm not working together with them, they're not mm-hmm. going to come back anymore. I'm not going to do a very good job for them, even if they come back. Yeah. Um, I have to be able to blend with them, harmonise with them, um, achieve something together. Uh, and there's that kind of um, I wouldn't call it artistic. Or I'd call it more artisan um, kind of aspect for me uh, to being a psychologist. So it's kind of like producing something for a purpose, but it's got an artistic value to it. Mm. So I, I think that those things are kind of uh, that, that artistic kind of and – and I think part of that artistic uh, aspect is, is like a spiritual kind of aspect uh, with a, 
maybe a small S, not a big S. Mm. Um, and, and those things are all common through those three th- uh, threads. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you share that from both martial arts and then dancing and then and then therapy. Like, I, I mean, you know, that obviously the, the therapy bit, I can really resonate with it. I mean, there's a real harmony that's entered into, I look at it as this, you know, a real sacred space you, that I enter into with my clients, um, and it's where magic can happen if I'm if I'm really present to that. And and what's interesting when I hear you speak about that, you've now entered more into the space. Of, when I say now, now I'm speaking from a place because I know of it now, but you haven't just now entered into the couple therapy. Um, mm. You've your that's what you're focusing on, and you I imagine have been for some time. Tell me a little bit about what it's like working because um, with couples. Um, I know that you worked with families in the past and. You are really well known for working with um, young boys when I was, um, you know, young teenagers, that's what I mean, when I was at the service and everyone would often kind of, um, you know, refer all the all the boys to you, boys who were seen as, you know, um, troublesome or um, diagnosed with various kind of labels. You were the one that was able to work with them in such a um, – uh, I suppose the word that comes is accepting accept that there was a real acceptance of how you work with them or real acceptance of them as a as a person and now you're doing couple therapy so um I suppose I'm just interested in that journey a little bit um Chris how you've gone from um child youth and family to then coming into working with couples and what is different for you and if anything you know working with couples now yeah, working with couples, as you're kind of alluding to in your comment, Susie, is uh, a systemic uh, kind of uh, situation. So you're working with a system or you're working with the, the betweenness between the, the, the couple, as you do with a family, you work with the betweenness. Um, so there are some commonalities. Um, the, the difference being that uh, when I was working with those, uh, those uh, young guys, uh, and their families. Um, the the uh, work was around their development, their kind of movement through their life stages, uh, and, and the travails that they were having doing that. And um, and so I was mainly working on uh, the, the with the parents on their parenting stuff. Now, of course, um, their personal relationships impact on their parenting. You know, I mean that's obvious. But uh, that wasn't such a feature, whereas uh, now working more in a marital relationship kind of style with just the couple, um, there's much more emphasis on their, their interpersonal relationships. And, you know, when people come along to see me, that's what they come along about. They don't come along about their 13-year-old who's been suspended for school for fighting. Um, so there's obviously a, a very clear or a clearer uh, kind of um objective in, in my working with them to work mm-hmm. on their interpersonal relationship. And, and, you know, I've got to say that uh, oftentimes if I did get that 13-year-old who'd been suspended for, um, you know, uh, fighting at school, uh, oftentimes, uh, and, and, you know, this is very much a systemic understanding, that sometimes uh, that was symptomatic of uh, stuff that wasn't going so well in the marital relationship that was born out in kind of some of the parenting stuff. Mm-hmm. So 
there are some commonalities. Um, there are some differences. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a common kind of theme there. So, I mean, I think that if you've been systemically trained, um, whether you're dealing with two people in the room or you're dealing with five, um, yeah, your, your understanding will be in a similar kind of vein. Um, the way I'm currently working, um, I've learned a model called Imago um, therapy. Uh, Imago is an American um from an American uh, guy in the States, uh, brought it out and, and kind of developed it. And it's a very structured way of working. Um, and it's very useful. I find it very useful. Um, but uh, it, it's definitely not in the same vein as other systemic kind of forms I've used before, um, where it's uh, been a little bit more, um, well, it, there's, there's been a structure to it, but it's not that structure hasn't carried into the actual nuts and bolts work in the sessions, um, as in prescribed kind of things to be doing and ways to do it mm. and, and things to, to get done. Mm. Yeah, it's an answer yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very different. I mean, I, you know, I take my hat off to anyone who is a couple therapist because <laughs> some, <laughs> you know, it can, it can be fueled by a lot of emotional intensity, not that family therapies aren't, but, you know, as a, I suppose as a therapist, um, how do you keep your grounding? How do you stay present? I, you know, I, I suppose the first thing I'll answer to that is, you know, you, you didn't just start out in therapy as in, as in, um, you know, as a psychologist, you've been doing this work for years, right? Decades yeah. and decades. Um, yeah. but now at this, you know, I, I, I suppose just through self reflection, when you're working with couples, what's the most challenging thing for you as a therapist working with them? Yeah, the, the the most challenging thing. Um, uh, well, there's there's a couple of challenging things. I'll say, um, I, I learned a lesson. I'm going to tell you in a roundabout way. I, I learned a lesson long, 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 long time ago when I first started working. Um, I was working in a uh, child and family mental health team in a general community health centre. We had those in those days, mm. um, not anymore much. Um, and um, I had the clients come along to me and I just got out of my master's course at uh, UNSW and I was very, very behavioral. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a guy, a bit ancient. So um, I got out of university when the C was just starting to emerge in CBT. It was BT. In those days, <laughs> um, so uh, I was seeing a family about a, a young child um, who was having uh, – like, you know, like uh, tantrums and, you know, the terrible twos kind of stuff. So um, I was using behavioural management techniques and uh, working with the, the child. And anyway, uh, happily enough, things got better. And I'm going, oh, this is great. This is great. So I can remember I had a session one day when things had been going great for a while and it was kind of time to end. And so I'm um, wanting to be, you know, I admit this, this is not such a good admission, but I, I'm going to admit it anyway. I was being, trying to be a bit self-congratulatory. So mm. I said to the parents, I said, and, and what do you think's made a difference with uh, Johnny? And they said, oh, well, we stopped uh, him drinking orange juice and he's been, been better ever since. <laughs> so um, what that taught me was um, yeah. never, ever um, put my ego into the equation. Yeah. Um, so uh, for those people who know about Michael White, um, uh, he had a, 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 a two by two table about what he called therapist centeredness mm. and 
influential uh, and being influential or not. Mm-hmm. So the worst position you can be in, according to White, was to be a centred, non-influential therapist. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by centred is they would be looking at you, uh, the, the clients would look at you to produce the, the, the magic tricks and mm-hmm. kind of tell them what to do and it, it's going to work and it's, you know, uh, it, it's, it's going to be surefire and all that. So if you were that person who was in that position um, in the therapy room and it wasn't working, that was the worst position in. The best position to be in was what he called to be decentered and influential. So that is, you could influence what was going on, but you weren't the centre of the mm. uh, whole universe of the therapy room. Yeah. And um, so that's that that first experience I just related to you taught me that, but without the kind of uh, framework that uh, White then later provided. So yeah. one of the things for me is to is to stay decentered. Um, mm. And being decentered is really useful because that means that. I understand that while I can give, you know, this is my understanding of what I can do with therapy, I can give a framework um, within which uh, people can um, work out their issues Mm. and I can assist with that. Mm. Um, But their issues are their issues and it's not my issues when, Mm. uh, you know, uh, things finally get summed up. Does that Mm. kind of make sense? Absolutely. And on that note, Chris, um, because you got me now – thinking a little bit wider, um, how can we stay outside of therapy room, coaching, what have you, how can we stay more decentered given, given the, you know, given the world that we live in today, which is slightly different than, um, two years ago? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Look, I I mean, I think this is interesting. I mean, one of the things that been uh, some of the people I've just been watching a little bit about uh, more of on YouTube. I, I watch some people on YouTube, some you know psychologists, and hmm. um, I also read some stuff along this uh, these lines. And it, it seems to be true that um, culturally and and society wise, we're becoming much more narcissistic. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so narcissistic traits much more um, prominent than they were. You know, maybe maybe you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and what that leads to, and, you know, we, we know what the, the hallmarks of grandiosity, of uh, narcissism are, their grandiosity, um, um, uh, entitlement and lack of empathy. So I think there's a lot more push, and, and this is particularly worrying for me um, in terms of young people because I think that um, social media and uh, that kind of thing and the presentation of oneself and uh, being on that platform uh, is encouraging of narcissistic traits, mm. and um, that being the case, it's it's very hard for people in general uh, to stem the flow of the um, the um, movement toward being more narcissistic in traits. I don't mean you know DSM five NPD, you know, the narcissistic personality disorder, not the full blown thing, but narcissistic kind of traits. I think that's more common um, yeah. these days than it once was. And part of the narcissistic traits is that, uh, you know, and this is in social media and platforms like that, that um, people see you and know you and privacy kind of disappears somewhat, Um, Mm. you know, as a result of um, the push to to kind of follow that trend and and, and be part of it or because, you know, people go, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to be out there. 
So I, I think it's it's much more difficult to take that position, and, and yeah, you know, I guess it goes to therapy too of of not kind of being the the, the the wizard who gets under the hood of the car and does stuff while people stand by and, and watch and go, well, has the car started yet, you know, like or the relationship started yet? Have you got it done? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not easy to do that. Mm. So what's, mm, you know, what what is the antidote? I mean, um, such a simple question, <laughs> yet, <laughs> yet. <laughs> Yeah, um, the, the antidote, I, I guess, is, is community for me. I mean, um, mm. you know, what's the opposite of, um, of narcissism? What's the opposite of uh, grandiosity, self-entitlement and um, lack of empathy? Well, it's empathy yeah. and um, humbleness and, um, mm. you know, and uh, connection with people, you know. Mm. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, there's no... The, the push is greater in the other direction at the moment, so I'm I'm not quite sure about that. Um, mm. But it, it is something that uh, I think's you know a bit of a worrying kind of trend, yeah. Um, and and I particularly worry about it with young people. So although I don't see a lot of young people uh, these days, mm. I do see some, and um, it's just amazing how many young people are kind of victimised and victims of mm. um, social media. Um, yeah. It's kind of horrendous, yeah. um, and in the research that's done on it is mm. is even more horrendous. Um, many, many, um, and you know, and unfortunately, it seems to affect um, females more than males. Mm. Um, horrible, horrible stuff. Lots of um, uh, shame, uh, lots of uh, guilt, lots of um, not good enough. Mm. Um, Lots of bullying, yeah. uh, that kind of stuff. So that's yeah, that that, that kind of worries me. Mm, yeah, because on the one hand, I wonder if you know, particularly girls seek some kind of connection and community, and you know, this kind of um, social media is more accessible, particularly in times like this. But it, but but it comes at a cost, and it's almost like going down a rabbit hole. Unfortunately, that's what I've seen. I I you know, I also see it with the you know with the few young people that I see, particularly girls. Um, yep. Who, who all of them have been um, have had that experience, unfortunately, a negative experience through that social media. So coming yeah. back though to what you were saying, you know, it's the opposite. Like in terms of the when I was saying, well, what's the antidote? And you say, well, you know, it's essentially opposite of um, what you were talking about in terms of narcissism or narcissistic kind of ways and traits. Um, it's about community. It's about empathy. It's about humbleness. It's about you know connectedness, which comes through all of those things. What yep. is I'm gonna I'm gonna scale back a bit more on that. What is the starting point for individuals who want to, who are open to this, who want to really um, work on those? And I would say this would be people who are already open, who are perhaps even more, who are already um, humble. They would be or, or or have that empathetic nature. How do they yep. continue in these ways? But here's the other thing. But also um, the word that comes, Chris, is protect themselves. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, look, I just want to take up your, your, your earlier point, um, which is that, you know, and I agree with you totally, that um, social media is like a two, uh, is like a double-edged sword. You know, it can be very useful, can bring people mm. together in the way it can. 
Um, and particularly in, in our current circumstances, it's you know probably a godsend in lots of ways to keep people together. Um, and on the other hand, just as I'd uh, kind of outlined, um, and as you said, you know, some of your clients uh, have found it can be uh, torture. Um, mm. So my, my answer to your question is that um, those people who have some of those qualities already and they want to protect themselves from the other stuff is that they be very, very choosy about um, and, and this comes back to the thing I said a bit earlier about uh, also the opposite for me of uh, narcissism is privacy. Mm. So um, I think that uh, an increase in one's level of privacy and one's consideration of privacy and what makes one uh, and what information needs to be private mm. um, needs to be reconsidered and carefully considered. So, um, yeah, li- living, your, living your life on Facebook um, can be very difficult and, and, and lead to lots of unhappy consequences. Mm. Um, so I, I, I'm, I use social media. Um, yeah, I find it's good. But, um, and, and, you know, I've got to say, I come from a di- very different cohort. I mean, I didn't grow up with social media. There are people running around who've never known anything different yeah. um, at this stage and using yeah. it. So I, I understand there's that kind of push to um, use the things that you know and the things that you've grown up with and you're used to and to see them as being. Oh, yeah, just part of life. Mm. However, um, the, the idea that some parts of life need to stay private and um, it's the privacy that's the opposite to the narcissistic kind of traits um, is something to consider uh, when, if you have got that kind of ability to consider these issues, mm. um, to, to make decisions about, about, yeah, what needs to remain private, what needs to be public, um, and, um, and, and if it's going to be public, public to whom, um, yeah. at what scope. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the kind of, yeah. That's yeah, a really good that. point, Chris, because I don't know how often we may consciously consider that and when I say we I mean not maybe I mean particularly the younger people that you know what does that mean at what cost do you get privacy and not just younger people I mean there's there are so many age groups who who have perhaps um, you know experienced some kind of um, unpleasant experience on uh, social media um, and to know that well that you know, that that kind of um, antidote sometimes is within our hands by firstly making decisions and um, being very mindful, careful, conscious about about the privacy. And I think that's a really, really good point um, as a way to protect ourselves when we are on these kind of platforms. I mean, yeah, we could, we could go down that path but I, uh, even more, but I, I, I won't because what I really want to come back to now is, um, you know, your, Chris, something about you is that, you know, you've said this, I've said this, you're, you're an ongoing, you're, you're, a, you're a always, you're always open to learning you're curious, you're open-minded, um, you will continue to learn till the end of your life here on planet Earth, right, <laughs> your physical <Yeah>. body. <laughs> Tell yeah, me, sure. what are you continuing to learn now given that you've 
being exposed to so much of life, life's experiences, so much of um, so much of learning, you know, through your own efforts. Tell me, what are you continuing to learn? What's really sitting with you? What are you exploring now at this point in your life in terms of, you know, whether it be concepts, ideas? I'm curious about that. Um, yeah, well, uh, on a professional level, like a, a, as a psychologist, I'm always uh, exploring new stuff. So one of the things that, um, that I, I kind of alluded to the story of meeting my wife on the dance floor um, and, um, you know, uh, we found out that we were both psychologists and uh, being psychologists, as you often do when you kind of uh, meet someone new, you'll kind of say, oh, and, and what model do you use, you know? So <laughs> I use that line when we're dancing and um, she told me this, this model called uh, resource therapy and I go, well, what the hell is resource therapy? I've never heard of such a thing, you know, what is this? Mm-hmm. So anyway, we, we arranged to meet further to discuss <laughs> <laughs> what this was, um, which was, you know, a bit of a, you know, there was a double kind of reason to meet, uh, in my mind at least anyway, and I think in hers she's told me since then. Anyway, but um, uh, so I, I've, uh, I, I didn't know anything about this uh, this way of working um, and so I actually learned resource therapy uh, and resource therapy, and you know, I won't go because I know the question's broader than this, but resource therapy is a, a, an outgrowth of uh, ego state um, therapies. Um, some of the people who are listening to the podcast might know what ego state is, um, but it's got a long pedigree. It, it's got a pedigree in psychoanalysis, but it's not psychoanalytic as it's practiced now. Um, and there's a lot of ego state therapists in Europe and the US um, and a certain number in Australia too. So um, uh, the, the guy who uh, invented, I'll, I'll say, um, resource therapy, what he did really was uh, he used to call it, used to be called uh, Emerson's Advanced Ego State Therapy. So it's a form of ego state therapy, much advanced, uh, very beautifully crafted by Gordon Emerson, Professor Gordon Emerson, who was a professor emeritus from Victoria University, uh, American guy actually who's been in Australia for many years. And so, you know, um, uh, I've been exposed to many, many models over time. Uh, I've got to tell the story, so, and this is not bragging, but um, mm. I, I get a lot of kudos because uh, I was uh, – I, I talked with people who were doing EMDR and um, Philippa likes to tell them that um, I actually uh, trained with um, – um, uh, Shapiro yeah. in 1992 when she came to Australia for the first time, which is true. So I'm, I'm really an early adopter in therapies and I'm willing to try them too. Um, whereas, you know, in 1992, when I told people I went to see um, Shapiro and kind of learned EMDR, they said, oh, that's snake oil. You know, like, what are you doing? Yeah, you might as well be kind of, you know, like <laughs> doing a, a war dance or something. Anyway, um, many years later, it's not like that. So, um, you know, uh, I, I, I learned um, resource therapy. I use it now. Uh, I, I see individual clients as well as uh, couples. And um, it's it's really interesting and it's a, it's a, a bottom-up therapy um it's um not very cognitive i mean it is cognitive but it, it's it's uh, looking works from emotion it's emotion um f- uh, focused um processing mm-hmm. and um it's really good and i like it so um that's that's kind of the, the thing that i will do that i will kind of see something and go oh that's interesting and i'll, I'll just chase it um, until <laughs> i find something about it so this stuff i was just saying about um social media and stuff 
uh, I came across that by um, looking at some of the guys, some of the psychologists I watch on YouTube, and they mentioned this stuff, and then they put it in terms of a context of the wider societal context and, and, and cultural kind of issues, and I kind of follow that through and I get more information and that leads me to books that I read. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, it's it's just kind of like following, following. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just yeah, I, I just get on a, a bit of a, a tangent that interests mm. me. Well, not a tangent, but I get on a, a theme that interests mm. me, and I just follow it, um, mm. and it leads in fascinating places to fascinating places. It always leads to somewhere, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Chris, I think that this conversation led to a lot of interesting places. Um, I think that you've shed light on a lot of interesting themes, um, and I really appreciate you um sharing that thank you so much um as a last question for our conversation today what's your vision for your life here i'm curious again like you said uh, just a, a few minutes a few seconds before i'm uh, like i'm going to keep learning till i kind of drop off the perch um, <laughs> so my my um vision is to to keep on learning uh to keep on uh, being fresh and refreshed um uh, I'm a great believer in that uh, when you kind of pack up your bag and say, well, that's all there is and I know it all now and sit on the uh, couch and start eating chips, that's, you might as well turn your toes up. So um, my, my vision is to, to keep on keeping on, keep on learning, um, keep on refreshing myself, being inspired by new ideas, um, you know, working with people um, on the dance floor, uh, on the martial arts uh, mats um, and uh, in the therapy room. I love it, Chris. Thank you um, so much for your insights, your inspiration. Um, you always, you know, as you were saying to freshen up, what 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 I was thinking. Gosh, you're such a you're a breath of fresh air, <laughs> and you really are. And I really appreciate that about you so much. You always. You, you sprinkle breadcrumbs and then I pick one and then I follow it on, right? And, I, and, and that's what you do. You have that impact on people. So thank you for the learning that you continue to do because you're certainly impacting those um, around you, those that you work with and um, those that come in contact with you. Um, mm. I've, I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, me also, Susie, and thank you for, you know, your very kind words. And um, it's a great pleasure and a great honour to be invited onto your podcast. And I hope that uh, people listening will get something out of it. I'm sure, well, um, from your, your great questions kind of certainly drew me out. So I'm, I'm sure that that will kind of be inspirational for them too, that uh, those questions they might draw, be able to draw some stuff out of themselves too. So, Chris, one last question for our conversation. What What's your vision for your life here? Again, like you said uh, just a, a few minutes, a few seconds before, I'm, uh, like I'm going to keep learning till I kind of drop off the perch. Um, <laughs> so my, my um, vision is to, to keep on learning, uh, to keep on uh, being fresh and refreshed. Um, uh, I'm a great believer in that uh, when you kind of, 
pack up your bag and say, well, that's all there is and I know it all now and sit on the uh, couch and start eating chips, that's, you might as well turn your toes up. So um, my, my vision is to, to keep on keeping on, keep on learning, um, keep on refreshing myself, being inspired by new ideas, um, you know, working with people um, on the dance floor, uh, on the martial arts uh, mats um, and uh, in the therapy room. So, yeah, that, that's, that's basically that thing, yeah? I love it. Chris, thank you um, so much for your insights, your inspiration. Um, you always, you know, as you were saying to freshen up, what, what, what I was thinking, gosh, you're such a, you're a breath of fresh air <laughs> and you really are. And I really appreciate that about you so much. You always give me something. You, you give me a... You, you sprinkle breadcrumbs and then I pick one and then I follow it on, right? And, I, and, and that's what you do. You have that impact on people. So thank you for the learning that you continue to do because you're certainly impacting those um, around you, those that you work with and um, those that come in contact with you. Um, mm. I've, I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, me also, Susie, and thank you for, you know, your very kind words. And um, it's a great pleasure and a great honour to be invited onto your podcast. And I hope that uh, people listening will get something out of it. I'm sure, well, um, from your, your great questions kind of certainly drew me out. So I'm, I'm sure that that will kind of be inspirational for them too, that uh, those questions they might draw, be able to draw some stuff out of themselves too. Thanks for joining me today on Empowered Conversations. Subscribe to the show now and then head over to my Facebook page, Susie Petrozzi, for free personal growth and self-discovery tools that you can use today to be present, be powerful and be on purpose. See you next time for Empowered Conversations. Empowered Conversations.